Adam Hill from the Las Vegas Review Journal, cover UFC and the Vegas Golden Knights, uh, do radio on ESPN 1100 in Las Vegas, and you're listening to the Mike Sappho Podcast. Atomically, Socrates, philosophies, and hypotheses Can't define how I be dropping these mockeries Lyrically perform armed robbery Flee with the lottery, possibly they spotted me Battles guard, showgun, explosion when my pen hits Tremendous, ultraviolet, shine blind forensics I inspect you through the future, see millennium Killer bees sold, 50 gold, 60 platinum Shackling the matches with drastic rap tactics Graphic displays melt the steel like blacksmiths Black woo jackets, queen bees, ease the gutsin Bumbling with patrolmen, tear gas Slays the function, heads by the score, take flight inside a war, ticks hit the floor, die hard fans, demand more. Hello, hello, hello. Welcome to another episode of the Mike Sappho Podcast, broadcasting today from the Westwood One Studios in the heart of New York City, 42nd Street, Times Square, and man, do I hate coming to Times Square. But the Westwood One Studios are sick, so I fight through a tourist to come here. Now I know it's October. So we have to talk Yankee Red Sox, right? We have to talk baseball playoffs. But come on, it's the Mike Sappho podcast. You know what we talk about? UFC all day, every day. Okay, we've never talked UFC. We've had UFC guys on. We've had MMA legends on. But I'm not a UFC guy. But man, does Dana White know how to promote a lot? I've never purchased a UFC event. This is what? UFC 229. Has there been 229 pay-per-views? Whatever. I've never purchased one, but I'm sucking it up and I'm buying it Saturday. McGregor versus Khabib. So I figure I know shit about the UFC. So I got to talk to the only reporter in the country with a daily MMA UFC column. He writes for the Las Vegas Review Journal. He's on ESPN Radio and he's my boy, Adam Hill. What's up, bud? Hey, what's going on? Can you hear me good? Yes, sir. Very nice. Thank you for calling in. Yeah, of course. Anytime. I know it's a very uh, quiet weekend. Nothing going on in Las Vegas, right? Yeah, there's uh, pretty much just sitting around uh, waiting for anything to happen. Yeah, nobody cares about some UFC fight and the opening night to hockey. No one gives a shit, right? Uh, no, especially when it's, uh, you know, they're the press conference today with Connor and Khabib and the opening night of the Golden Knights are about, oh, 500 feet apart from each other, so... A uh, pretty crazy corner of Las Vegas, for sure. All right, before we do that, you and I met like two months ago at, it's a coincidence, we met at a Khabib press conference, and when you and I were talking, you know, we exchanged phone numbers, we text here and there. You won photo contest of the year three weeks ago. Can you tell me who your new Sunday fun day drinking uh, buddy is? Oh, uh, you know, it's, uh, it's one of our beloved heroes here in Las Vegas, for sure. And I said that very sarcastically. Listen, uh, OJ is out of jail. He's a free man. He served his penance to society. And uh, we happened to be watching football in the same bar in Las Vegas. And, by the way, it was my group of friends and his group of friends, and that was it. That was the entire the entire uh, crowd in this bar. So we got to hear OJ you know, yelling at the TV, screaming at the TV about certain things going on in the game. And the whole time we're looking over like, Wow, this is crazy. OJ Simpson is sitting right there watching games. I certainly was not going to uh, – I was not going to be a part of a photo. I, you know, I, I thought as an upstanding member of society here in Las Vegas, I wasn't going to do it. But my friends certainly were involved, and uh, they wanted to get photos. And OJ actually – I'll say this. He was incredibly nice. 
but at the same time, you're standing around him like, oh, Lord. Yeah. Like, I know what that guy did. <laughs> this is uncomfortable. <laughs> so, dude, I think I saw the picture on your Twitter, and I'm like, okay, if I was there, and you know what? Because I do the podcast now and working with Opie, I really don't get starstruck. But OJ's kind of one of those, like, magnetic figures. If I saw OJ, I'd be like, I wonder if I'd be nervous. But tell, take me through this. You're at a bar. Is it like a local, like, sports bar? Yeah, it's a, it's a local bar. It's actually a really, really nice bar. Uh, it's not much of a football bar necessarily. It's 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 more of a nighttime spot, uh, but it's a local's place. And I think OJ goes there because it's not very crowded. Um, you know, he he's gone to a couple spots here in town that are crowded, but you know, he's got some uh, you know some restrictions of where he can go, what he could do, as far as you know, you don't want to be around anybody that's rowdy or like messing with you because if he does get into an incident, he's going to be in a lot of trouble. So. Uh, I think he kind of tries to stay away from the crowds a little bit, although he's certainly not shy about, you know, taking photos. And if you come up to him and approach him and talk to him, he'll he'll do it. This is, by the way, not the first time I've been in the same bar as OJ. Uh, he's out every night, so if you go out in Vegas, you're gonna see him. Uh, he's he's around, so uh, you know he's been nothing but nice. And and I I I'm not defending him in that. Believe me, I'm sure people hear this because people saw my my tweets about it. Like I was just making the point, hey, he's a free man. He's out. He's an old football player watching football. This is weird, uh, but people are like, how could you even promote him? Or I'm not. I'm just stating facts. Like, he's out there. He, I actually asked him what he thought about the new roughing the passer rules, and he gave me a pretty good quote uh, about, you know, he wants to put the flags on the quarterbacks and just play flag football now because that's what the league has become. You know, I thought that was interesting. Um, and, of course, people made jokes about, you know, things that he's done and what he's not been penalized for in his career. Uh, so, you know, it's, it's funny. But I'm not, I'm not condoning uh, OJ, I'm not, I'm not saying he's a good person, and, and I, like we all know what he did, but it is newsworthy, I think, when you're, you know, watching football with OJ Simpson. You know, it's crazy because I was going to ask you, were there any like, you know, assholes like screaming stuff at him? But it just seems he's just at a bar, and it's like, oh, there's OJ, and it's a bunch of dudes, and like you said, no one's saying he's a good dude, or whatever. But it's OJ. He's a football guy. That's how I know. I'm like, oh, it's OJ, the football guy. And you get to talk football with yeah. an old player. It's surreal, though. Wait, so you didn't take a picture with him, right? No, no, no. My friends did. <laughs> uh, and then he actually, there was there was eight of us, uh, two girls, um, and you know, just for the sake of the story, you know, attractive young blondes, oh my God. Uh, which was very very <laughs> weird, uh, because he he cursed while he was talking to us, and then he stopped the conversation. Excuse me, gentlemen walked over to the two young ladies that were with us and said, I apologize for my language. And one of them said later she was going to say, you need to apologize for a lot more than that. But she didn't. Uh, that could have got ugly. But I think a, a lot of people are the same way. Like, when I've seen him out and, out and about, everybody is very positive to him. They want pictures. They want to meet him. Uh, they want the, you know, they want it for social media, I'm sure. But at the same time, like, you hear the snickers behind him. You hear people laughing and making comments and you know, saying things about him, but nobody really goes up to his face. Now, I think if he's in a rowdy bar, yeah. if there's, you know, a lot of drunk people, a lot of dudes around, people are probably going to make comments, and I think that's why he seeks out the quieter places for the most part. Um, now, there's, you know, last year for the playoffs, he went to the Bills bar here in town, um, and they actually called ahead and made sure it was okay. Uh, I know that for sure. Um, but, you know, it, even, you know, there he was very much welcomed as a former Bills player. But I, I do think he stays out of the crowded places. And, again, I'm going to say this with every answer I give about OJ. I'm not condoning OJ <laughs> and what he did. I'm just telling you he is a 
he is out and about in Vegas every single night. If you go to local spots in Vegas, especially northwest part of town, uh-huh. you're going to see him. Now, listen, here's why – all right, no more OJ talk, but here's why Dana White is a genius. <laughs> so when we talked, I'm an obs- obsessive sports fan. I mean, like, like it ruins my life. That's all I do is watch sports. But UFC is the one sport that I won't – that I don't go all in. I'm not – I don't even watch it. I've never ordered one. Yet UFC 229 – I'm all in. I'm checking the card. He just knows it's McGregor Khabib, and I'm I'm pumped up. This is the first time, and I'm talking to like all my UFC fans, like, bro, I can't wait for this weekend. They're like, yeah, man, UFC happens all the time. Is this a bigger event, or is it just another, like a playoff game, or is this a Super Bowl? For me, I'm like, this is the fucking Super Bowl. Yeah, it's it's Super Bowl, and there's there's a lot of reasons for it. First of all, it's Conor McGregor. Like Conor McGregor has eclipsed MMA. He's eclipsed the UFC. I mean, of course, he went out and did the, the boxing match with Floyd Mayweather and everything else there. But, I mean, he is a massive, massive star. Somebody, somebody made a comment yesterday that he's not the most popular fighter in the UFC. He's actually one of the top ten most famous athletes in the world. And I scoffed at that, and I was like, there's no way. And then I started to think about it, and I was like, you know what? He might be. I mean, as, as far as global recognition and, and, you know, the name value and what he's done, like, he actually might be on that list. Um which is crazy for a UFC fighter to have gone that to have gotten that big, but I mean he has. So the Connor side is is easy. We know why this is a big fight because Connor's in it. Anytime he fights, it's a big fight. But here's the thing: Khabib Nurmagomedov is the best fighter in the world to me. He's number one on my pound for pound list. Um, he's incredible. He's undefeated, twenty six and zero. You don't see guys with that many fights that have not lost uh, in in MMA. It's just so unpredictable. So Khabib is this unstoppable force fighting the most popular guy in the world. And, you know, Connor, I give credit to. I give him all the credit in the world. I'm not picking him in this fight, but I give him all the credit in the world for taking this fight. This is a really, really dangerous fight to take. Um, I never thought he would take it. It's a bad stylistic matchup. Uh, it's a guy that, you know, Khabib doesn't have the same drawing power. Connor can get, Connor can get uh, this kind of ratings and draw against anybody. So why pick the hardest fight? And so then you have that backstory. I mean, you were there in New York. I was there in New York. You know, I, I still love people that say that was fake, what happened in New York where Connor attacked a bus that Khabib was on. I mean, uh, we know he really was arrested. Like, that was not – the NYPD is not playing along <laughs> with this promotion of the fight. You know that. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, they're, not part of, they're not part of the gimmick. No, it's, this is not the WWE where you have, like, fake police officers and <laughs> fake ambulance drivers. You know, as part of the gimmick, like he was really arrested. I was really in the courtroom in Brooklyn when Connor pled not guilty to this charge. Like I, I was there. I know uh, this is real. And so, you not only have this, you know, the force of Connor McGregor against the just absolute um, incredible uh, performer that is Khabib Nurmagomedov as far as an athlete. Uh, you've got the the actual fight and its style versus style. It's stand up of Connor against the wrestling and grappling of Khabib. It's all of those things. But then you also have the promo of Connor getting arrested and throwing a dolly through a bus and everything that happened there. So you've got all that stuff working. And then on top of that, and I was actually just talking to another fighter about this uh, just before we got the phone, um, you've got enti- the entire nation of Ireland against the entire nation of Russia. <laughs> and then you've also got the guys around them, which are, you know, I- I'm, I'm going to be careful how I say it, loosely affiliated mm-hmm. with organized crime in those countries. <laughs> Uh, so you've got like the Irish mob against the Russian mob, yeah, and, like <laughs> it's it's incredible. Like every single storyline coming together in this one fight. I mean, I don't I don't know that the 
the actual fight can live up to everything building up to it. But this is the recipe. If you wanted to, if you wanted to lay out a perfect world for a perfect recipe to have a massive fight, this is it. I was just going to ask you because you're an MMA guy, you're a UFC guy, you love all of it. I was going to be like, someone like you, are you going to be into it? It's the same people that get into like March Madness. I'm like, all right, bro, I'm watching every game in October, yeah. November. But it seems like even you're excited about this fight. Yeah, I am. Uh, there's, there's no question about that. And, and mostly, you know, I've said for, I don't know, four years now that Khabib Nurmagomedov is the best fighter in the world. And he's just not, he's not exciting. He doesn't have a dynamic personality. I think he's hilarious, but the language barrier is, issue, is, is an issue. Um, he speaks English, but it's kind of, you know, it, it's kind of broken English, and he doesn't have, like, over-the-top, like, crazy things to say. So as good as he is and as good as I thought he's been for a long time, he just hasn't had that platform to become a superstar. And this is it. He has it now. So I, I'm excited to see that, if, and I'm excited to see, you know, you like to be right. I'm excited to see if I'm right. Like, I thought for a long time, Nurmagomedov is absolutely the best fighter in the world, and he, he has a chance to prove it right now. I mean, all of those things are coming together, and, you know, like I said, I give Connor all the credit in the world for just taking this fight. Just the fact that he's going to walk into that cage against this guy that the people in the know, like myself and, and people that follow it every day, think he has no chance to win this fight, and he's taking it. Like, that's you've got to applaud somebody for something like that. I'll tell you how excited I am. Uh, I am I'm supposed to be in a wedding on Saturday okay. uh, in San Francisco. Uh, I'm a, I was a groomsman in a wedding. And I told them when I accepted it, I said, hey, UFC does have a fight. You know, they have a date booked in October uh, for, you know, T-Mobile Arena in Vegas. And if it's Connor and he's fighting Khabib, there's no way I can be in this wedding. I'm sorry. And so I had to tell them, like, yeah, I'm out. I'm not going to be a part of it. I am. I will say this. Uh, today is going to be a crazy day. And then tomorrow I am flying up to San Francisco for the rehearsal dinner and then flying back for the fight uh, on Saturday. So it's, it's going to be a crazy weekend. But that's how, I mean, I, I could, there's no way I could miss this fight. I could not. I mean, I have to work, but at the same time, like, I have to be there. That's one of the most dedicated things I've ever heard, and the one I always compare. I'm a Kentucky <laughs> basketball fan, Adam, and I actually missed my uncle's okay. funeral. It was the Kentucky-Louisville Final Four in 2012. My dad's family still doesn't speak to me to this day, but I missed my uncle's funeral <laughs> for that game, and I'm like, listen— that's on him, bro. That's selfish. Kentucky, Louisville, Patino, yeah. Calipari. So you missing the wedding makes me love you even more. Yeah, I have to. Hey, and, and like I said, I'm, <laughs> I'm going to do what I can. I'm going to the rehearsal dinner, but I, I can't be there for the wedding. It's just, this is too big. And and by the way, I'm gonna. What's going to happen is one of them's going to miss weight tomorrow. The fight's going to be off. <laughs> and then, uh, I'm going to be stuck missing the wedding and not seeing the fight. So that that's my kind of luck. Here's my question. You're like, you know, your you know your shit with MMA, UFC. My boy diehard UFC guy, and the guys who, like you say, are in the know, I actually asked a bunch of UFC fighters who um, come on the podcast and we just kick it. I'm like, dude, who's going to win? Everyone's like, Khabib. It's, not that it's not going to be close. It is the UFC. Anything can happen. They go, Khabib's going to win. Yet why are the odds in Vegas if someone would place some shekels only like minus 150? All right. So here, here's – I'm going to go inside. I hope uh, I hope the listeners won't get totally uh, bored out by this. But uh, so – the, the sports books in Vegas and, you know, I'll say sports books around the world, now you can bet pretty much anywhere. They are not setting lines based on what they think is going to happen. They're setting lines to get action both ways, right? So whatever line they set, they want half the people to bet on Connor, half the people to bet on Khabib. Now it's changed a little bit over the years. Certain sports books take, they take positions. They move the line a little bit to try to draw action on the other side. But for the most part, you want people betting both sides. Uh, one of my best friends is actually a sports book director here in Vegas. Uh, runs one of the biggest books in town, 
he is, you know, he, he has a lot of power in, this, in the business, in the sports betting business. He told me if he could set the line where he thought it should be, it would be, it would be Khabib minus 350. Oh, my God. So he thinks it should be minus 350. The problem with that is if you put Khabib minus 350, you're going to get every single person in the world in that book betting on Conor McGregor. Like, they're betting on Conor anyway. Mm-hmm. Even though there's no line value, they're still betting on Conor. So you can't, you can't take the risk, especially when the sports books are controlled by corporate interests. It's going to be tough to explain to your boss why you just took, you know, $6 million on Conor McGregor and only had a million on Khabib and had so much risk. That's going to be a tough, uh, tough thing to explain to your bosses. So uh, that's why the number is where it is. Now, that's not to say, like, so I'm, I'm telling you right now, if you're betting this fight, you have to bet Khabib. That, means, that doesn't mean you're going to win. Mm-hmm. It's not a guaranteed win. Anything can happen for sure. But all of the value in the world is on, is on Khabib Nurmagomedov in this fight. The line is way too low, and it's way too low for a reason. They, don't want, they can't expose themselves to all that Conor action. They're going to get the Conor action anyway, no matter what. If you make Conor a 5-1 to favorite, they'd still bet on Conor. Like, they just can't stop themselves from betting on Conor. So the line is where it is for, for that reason. I'm glad you said that because I know people who don't even know shit about the UFC. They're Irish. Like, dude, I'll bet anyone right now McGregor. They would bet McGregor in the Mayweather yeah. fight. So he, he's like this polarizing figure that if he's fighting or if he's doing something, they're investing. That's just it. So that's why the line's only minus 150, give or take, right? Uh, yeah, and I would say by fight time, it's going to be very close to pick them. So if you're, if you're betting Khabib, wait and uh, bet it right before the fight because all the Conor money is still coming into town. All these drunk Irish people, are, and I say that affectionately, I love them. Uh, they're all coming to town, and they're all betting Connor, and the number will move. Any For an amateur fan like me, any other must-watch fights? Like, Are there any fights to be like, dude, put this on. This is going to make you a fan on this card? Uh, yeah, you know what? The, the, the co-main event um, is Tony Ferguson, Anthony Pettis. And co-main event, they use that term for the second fight on the card. There's, there's no co-main event about this. This is a one-main event card, no question. Uh, but Pettis and Ferguson is a really, really good fight. Tony Ferguson is the weirdest. Like I have, I have not cursed yet. I, I've I've heard you do it. Uh, I do radio every day, and I have to watch myself from cursing all the time. I will say I will, I will save my first curse for this one. Tony Ferguson is the weirdest motherfucker you've ever seen in your life. Uh, I I can't explain him. I don't know how to explain it to you. I don't know what to tell you. He's an incredible fighter. He's won 10 fights in a row. If he wins and Khabib wins, they'll fight, and that will be an incredible fight too. Tony Ferguson is ultra-talented, but he is weird. So the other day, I asked him about the, you know, the division. Hey, you're in the lightweight division. Connor's there. Khabib's there. There's all these great fighters. You know, what do you think about it? This was his answer. It's all right. You can't take my spot, and you won't. I've been working my ass off for five months, and my team has diligently been there for me. I lost a really good friend of mine because he OD'd on some bullshit. So when you have different things in your life that happen like that, it kind of sets a different kind of pace in your head. You know, this is a rat race, but I'm no rat. I'm a fucking turtle, ninja turtle. So which one's your favorite? I like Michelangelo. That was his answer. That was his answer to the question. I don't know what he's talking about. I don't know what that means. I have no idea. I don't know how he got there from the question, but that's that's what he answers all the time. He just says weird things. But either way, he can say all these weird things, and he gets in there, and he just beats people. He's awesome. But Anthony Pettis is one of the most athletic, dynamic, just awesome fighters that you're going to see. If uh, if you might remember, if you've you know seen any kind of UFC highlights in the past, the last ever World Extreme Cage Fighting fight 
uh, featured him jumping off the cage, springing himself into landing a kick. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was incredible, and, and not many people are capable of doing something like that. So he's ultra-talented, and, uh, you know, he's gone through some tough times. I think he had too much success at a young age and kind of, uh, you know, kind of bought into that a little bit. But now he's kind of back. He's winning some fights again, and that's a really, really good matchup, and it could determine who fights uh, the winner of Conor Khabib next. So it's interesting to watch from that perspective. And then Derek Lewis is on this card, too. Uh, Derek Lewis is just, first of all, he's hilarious on social media. I, I recommend anybody follow him on Instagram. He just posts funny videos all day. But he's just a funny dude, but he's just, he's a big guy who looks like he could never be a professional athlete, but he just punches really hard. And, uh, you know, that could be a fun fight to watch against a guy like Volkov, who's just a monstrous Russian with a ton of power. Uh, that's a fun fight, too. I mean, I, I really think this fight, this fight card up and down is, is good. It's not, like, outstanding. It's a really good card. But nobody's buying it for any of the supporting fights. Everybody's buying this for Conor and Khabib. Now, I'm going to actually segue that into one more UFC thing. I think it might have been Rogan or someone was commenting about UFC 230, that there's no um, – main event or it's garbage what's the problem yeah. with that is there's no headline or what's the issue with that well they were trying to come so first of all on that fight card the co-main event is the main event like there's no question about that you've got uh nate diaz who you know we've kind of we've all uh learned about through his two fights with conor mcgregor and he's just an, he's an awesome fighter and just a, a funny guy to hear speak uh, with some of the ways that the ways that he thinks against Dustin Poirier, who has made a huge run in the lightweight division. I mean, that is that is an outstanding fight. That's a fight that I would buy a pay per view for uh, just on its own. But the problem is the UFC has they really really don't like putting on cards without belts if there's no belt on the line. So they don't like to do that. And I I don't think the average fan cares. I mean, I don't like when when Conor and Nate fought there was no belt on the line. I don't think people care about titles. But the UFC thinks they do. So they wanted a belt on the line. So they put together at the last minute just a ridiculous women's title fight with Valentina Shevchenko, who's a legitimate top-tier should-be champion, and she'll win the title that night against a girl who has no business fighting against her that nobody knows about. So they put that, they scrambled to put that fight together just so that they could have a belt on the line. And it makes no sense. It's just something I wouldn't have done. And, and like, there's nobody's going to be watching that fight card for anything but Diaz and Poirier. That's an incredible fight. So why, why force this belt on the line and make that the main event just because there's a title? I don't think people care that much about a belt. My buddy just wrote, like, he writes me a little note, like he's Jackie Martling next to Stern, and he said the only way McGregor can win if they stand up and fight. Is that true? Yeah, and that, that's so. That's what Connor's doing. Uh, Connor, if you watch the press conference in New York, Connor is completely over the top, and he does that anyway. He does it to, to sell fights, and I think people know that. Mm-hmm. But he's not just doing it to sell fights. Connor's weakness is wrestling. Connor's weakness is somebody that can take him down, somebody that can drive him to the ground, and, and you know really get him in the grappling and, and wear him down that way. And so what he wants to do is make you so angry before you fight him that you not only stand up, that you try to punch him and knock his head off because you're angry at him but that you also do it aggressively. And then you come out it's so angry and just like out of your mind, like it, it, like a guy at a bar who's just like chasing somebody down drunkenly. Like that's how he wants you to fight. And so he's trying to talk his opponents into that. So when you watch him at a press conference, it's not just about getting you at home to buy the fight. It's about, it's about winning the fight then. He's trying to win the fight at the press conference, and he did it against Jose Aldo. I mean, Jose Aldo had a 10-year winning streak 
one of the greatest featherweights of all I'll say the greatest featherweight of all time. And for a year, they had they promoted the fight, they marketed the fight, they did a world tour uh, all over the place, and Connor was relentless, saying everything about Aldo, his family, his country, everything about him, to the point where when they actually stepped in the cage, and again, this is a guy who hadn't lost in 10 years, Jose Aldo ran across the cage and threw a wild off-balance punch and got knocked out on the counter in less than 15 seconds. And that was all Connor talking him into fighting like an idiot. And, and that's something, you know, Jose Aldo has had a struggle since then, but that's something we never saw Aldo do before that. And, and it was just stunning that he was able to let it affect him that much. In New York, when Connor fought in New York, that was his last, uh, you know, his last fight in the UFC two years ago, November, Madison Square Garden, 2016. He, he talked, Eddie, Alvarez, Eddie Alvarez was handling it well until two days before the fight. There was a press conference uh, at the theater next to Madison Square Garden. Connor was completely over the top and crazy, and Eddie Alvarez lost his mind. And you knew right then Eddie Alvarez couldn't win. So Connor is trying to get Khabib to stand with him, which would be stupid. If Khabib does try to stand with him, I will, like, I don't get emotional about fights. I don't get into it. So I will be physically angry. You can, you'll see me. I'll, I'll be right next to the cage. You'll, you can spot me there. And you will see that I'll just be sitting there angry that, that Khabib let Connor get to him. But that is what Connor does. That is what Connor is brilliant at. I mean, he is incredibly accurate as a striker. But he is brilliant at, at winning the mind games, and it's it's so much more than just selling fights to people. It is it is all about you know strategy and, and getting somebody to get out of their style and fight him how he wants to. So yeah, if if Khabib stands up with him, he's hittable. That's the one weakness. He's never gone down. He's never been knocked down. He's never even lost a round in the UFC. But he is hittable. And if Conor McGregor hits you, it's different than anybody else. So he's trying to get him to stand up with him and that's that's the key to that's the key to how he could win now i know you're working it you're going to watch it from the arena or you're going to be home watching it no no no. i'll be uh, like i said i'll be right there next to the cage you can uh you can see me as i uh, type away during the fights and keep notes but yeah i'll be uh, i'll be second row right, right outside the cage and i'm glad you mentioned the knights because they took the nhl by storm uh last year going to the stanley cup finals and they're playing they're opening nights tonight is the city like just buzzing, yep. and is there big expectations for this year for the hockey team, or is it more like, hey, last year Cinderella run, now we're back to reality? Is there expectations from the fans or from people that you know cover the team and actually know about hockey? How about you? Know what? Go with that. The people who actually know hockey. Uh, yeah, I think people that know hockey think that there's going to be. I've talked to plenty of them because I am, you know, I'm on the hockey beat now, so I'm covering the team a little bit, even though I don't really know that much, but I. I'm I'm smart enough to know I don't know that much, so I talk to a lot of people, and you know it's really really tough to have an emotional year like they had last year and carry that emotion and that you know certainly they were better than people thought, but they also had you know a lot of emotions going into that season and to have a run like they had through the playoffs, uh, completely unexpected and do what they did that second year, especially when you don't win, you come up just short of where you wanted to be. Uh, you see it in other sports. The, you know, the Super Bowl loser hangover the next season, you see it all the time. When you make a run like that, it's tough to get back up for the regular season. So, yeah, I think they're going to take a step back. I, I I think the Sharks made a huge move in the division uh, by adding some players, especially Eric Carlson, one of the best defenders in the league. Now we saw last night they uh, they have some issues at goal right now with Martin Jones kind of struggling mentally. But um, I, I think the Sharks are better uh, than them. And, and I just think it's it's one of those things where you're going to take a step back just because – of all the emotions from last season. So, I, you know, I picked them to, to get about 97 points. It's about 10 less than they had last year. Uh, I think they finished second or third in the division. But they're going to be a threat. They're going to be right in it. I just don't think uh, people can accept that. Most fans here believe 
that they're not only going to win the Stanley Cup, but probably win every single game this season <laughs> and uh, and maybe win like the next nine Stanley Cups. That's how people here think. Now, you say fans. Real fans? Or is it more like, oh, this is a new team. Let's jump on board because they were – it was rowdy. Like those, that was one of the best home environments you can have there. Are they, are they real fans or is it more like, hey, let me jump on the bandwagon here? Oh, it's bandwagon. I mean, well, it's it's all bandwagon though, right? I mean, you only have liked them for a year. You got on the bandwagon because they were winning. You're not like I was a lifelong fan. I mean, they've only been around for a year. So th- this town, like I've lived in Vegas a long time. This town loves winners. I mean, they love it. And if you win, you're, you know, you have fans for as long as you're winning. And if you lose, uh, you basically don't even exist. So, yeah, I, I think it's a little different with this team in that, um, you know, I was talking to a couple of players yesterday that said, you know, the fans get a lot of grief because they're obviously not, you know, longtime fans or lifelong fans and they're kind of spoiled by winning in the first year. But he said, I feel like the fans actually do really love this team, even if they don't love hockey, which I think is fair. Like, you know, last year the tragedy happened October 1st. It was the last preseason game mm-hmm. was going on. It ended like an hour and a half before the shooting on the strip. And it was, it's literally, for those that don't know the, the geography in Vegas, it's, I don't know, less than a quarter mile from where the shooting was to T-Mobile Arena uh, on the strip. So, you know, the game ends, the players go out. In fact, uh, six of the players were having dinner at a restaurant that got locked down. Uh, they weren't allowed out. I mean, the, the players were deeply impacted by the tragedy. And then, you know, all of a sudden you have opening night a couple nights later and the fans, like, were just looking for something to be happy about or for something to, um, you know, kind of, you know, take their mind off what was going on in town. And not only do the Golden Knights play, and it's exciting that they're around, but then they go 8-1-1 one and one to start the year last year. So, yeah, people jumped on board, and I think it was mostly about the winning. But I don't know if they're going to – I don't know if they're going to evacuate the bandwagon as quickly uh, as they might have otherwise just because they do really love these players. So you made me feel kind of bad because when everyone was talking last year, I'm like, no, I want them to lose because I need them to suffer. Like, who are they? Like, I suffer with my sports teams. I want them to suffer to really oh, appreciate oh, the winning. Yeah. Hold, hold on. Hold on. I was, I'm with you. Okay. <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm here. I'm with you. I, that, that was my thought, too. And listen, I just described to you why the team is so connected to, to the city. Mm-hmm. But I thought going to the playoffs was enough. Mm-hmm. Like, okay, you had your fun. You went to the playoffs. Like, you need to suffer. I don't have a single team that I cheer for that's had any success ever. <laughs> Wait, who are your teams, Adam? Actually, the, uh, well, okay, the Tigers are oh, terrible. Okay, okay. Uh, I'm a lifelong Bills fan. Oh, my God. Uh, I'm not anymore because uh, I don't like how they treated Tyrod Taylor, so right now I don't have an NFL team. Okay. Uh, but, yeah, the Bills and Tigers are, like, the teams that I really care the most about. I mean, the Pistons are horrific. Uh, you know, I'm from, I'm from Detroit, but all my family's from Buffalo, so that's my, you know, it's kind of my region. Um, we have nothing. The Sabres are terrible. The Red Wings are terrible right now. They had some success earlier, but I didn't really care about hockey that much. Um, like, I, I, I live in misery as a sports fan, and <laughs> I think that people need to. Like, you don't appreciate the success until you've lived through that misery. No, you fall in love with your team in defeat. Nothing's Listen, when your team loses, I'm in, de- I'm in depression. But then I love my team. When the Yankees yeah. lose, I throw the hat on. Like, I love them more than life after they lose because that's when you see the real Stop fans. With the Yankees. No. <laughs> they win every year. Stop. Stop it. Okay, wait, listen, we're down to the Elite Eight now in baseball. Who's your, uh, who's your picks? Let me hear. And don't go anti-Yankee uh, because you don't like them. And don't just pick the Astros because you love Verlander. Let me hear. <laughs> uh, I do love Verlander. Um, <laughs> but I, you know what? I'm going Brewers. I like what the Brewers are doing right now. They're playing out of their minds. They were down five games on September 3rd. They mm-hmm. rallied. They got there. Uh, they've got they've got you know a really good bullpen. 
They got enough starters. I mean, haters, incredible out of the bullpen. Uh, they have enough starters, and I think their offense is just absolutely clicking. And uh, good lord, Yelich! Wow, oh my god, he's on another level. <laughs> yeah, I- I'll tell you. I it's obviously crazy. I want the Yankees, but I'm the biggest Kershaw guy ever, and all I want is for him to have a dominating postseason, like four and zero. I know it's every year. I'm like, you know what? If the Yankees can't win it. I just want Kershaw. I love Kershaw, and every year, every single year, Adam, he crushes me. The guy's allergic to October. <laughs> hey, are you going to come out to it's New rough, York? Man. Are you coming out to New York for UFC 230? Uh, I will not be there for UFC 230. I'm trying to be there for the uh, the Golden Knights actually have uh, – they play Rangers, Islanders, and Devils three games in five days, so hopefully I'll be there for that, uh, for that stretch. When is that? Uh, you know, I have to look at the calendar. I don't know what's going on tomorrow, so you're going to ask me about what's happening like December? Like, I can't do that. All right, no, because I want to make sure we link up, because we talked last time, and now we're going to link sure. up. Absolutely. Uh, let me see. Let me look. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, and, when you, and when you come out here, we'll hang out with Opie. I know you're an Opie and Anthony fan. We'll do a show with Opie and shit. I'll be too, I'll be too uh, nervous. I can't do it. No, wait. Hey, real quick. He's my hero. I told you that. I told you that out the air. He's my hero. Dude, you want to hear a quick story how we got linked up? Sure. I'll tell you, it's, it's like embarrassing. So I was the biggest Opie and Anthony fan. Like, Adam, I have over 2,000 cassettes of Opie and Anthony from WNEW, um, Satellite. So he followed me on Twitter like three or four years ago. And I wouldn't tweet then for like a week. I'm like, no, if, if I tweet something, he'll stop following me. So I start doing the podcast. <laughs> listen, listen, I start doing the podcast, and I kept hitting him up. Like, I'm like sliding into his DMs. I'm like, oh, I would love for you to come. I just had on Dick Vitale. I just had on this guy and this guy. And he so cordial. He's like, hey, keep up the good work. I see what you're doing. No, I know he wasn't. It was like a copy and paste every time I wrote to him. So he gets fired from SiriusXM. And I write him like a girlfriend letter. It was like the longest email I've ever – I've been divorced. I didn't write can this letter. Before you go on, can I, can, I t- can I tell you before you go on yeah. that I thought about that? <laughs> I thought about doing that. So I could have been, I could have been doing the same thing. You could have got it for both of us, but I decided not to. But you, to go ahead, went and did it. So good for you. Yeah. So I write the longest letter ever, and he wrote back like, "Thank you. Uh, I'll be in touch." I'm like, "Are you? I just poured my heart out to you, man." Um, he starts doing a podcast, and I just kept writing to him like, "I don't even want you on my podcast. Just come watch me do it. It's kind of fun. I do it from a bar." And finally, he's like, "Hey, what do you?" He starts his podcast. He does like six episodes. He's like, "What are you doing tomorrow?" I'm like, uh, nothing. He's like, oh, come to my show. Adam, I call out of work. I'm like, listen, I'm, I'm not going to work. I help him out with the show. And in just coincidence, I'm friends with Rob O'Neill, the dude who killed Bin Laden. So I'm like, dude, I'll get him on your show. Yeah. A- anyone you want. I'll go kidnap somebody if you want them on your show. <laughs> so I get him on the show, and I'm like writing him notes during the show and shit. And then he's like, hey, listen, come to Westwood One tomorrow. I'm like, oh, my God, that's two, three hangouts with Opie. And then he's like, hey, would you want to come work with me? So I'm like, oh, I'm like, I have like a real job. And here's the best part. He's like, oh, I tell him what I do. I don't say it on the podcast, but I tell him what I do. And the next day, I was going to Russia for the World Cup. He's like, oh, dude, all right, hit me when you get back. I'm like, I was legitimately thinking about not going to the World Cup because I'm like, this is a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. <laughs> so I go to the World Cup, and like, I just keep refreshing the podcast. I'm like, I hope he has a shitty podcast because I don't want him to – and then I came back. He's like, dude, come produce my show. I'm like, what? He's like, yeah, come. So now I'm like 30 episodes in. It's like – Kind of surreal, like I'm just sitting in the like in the Robin chair from Howard Stern, just watching Opie do his show. It's fucking surreal, but I told him because I screenshotted out text message when you're like, Opie's the reason I got into radio, and he's like, oh, cool shit. He's like, when he comes out here, we'll hang out for beers. So when you get out here, we're definitely gonna fucking hang out for beers. 
Oh boy, yeah, I'm gonna have to. I'm gonna, yeah, now I'm gonna be thinking about that instead of the fight all week thing. <laughs> hey, just pl- <laughs> plug your Twitter because you, you actually have a really good Twitter site. So just plug your Twitter and anything else you want to plug. I uh, appreciate that. Adam Hill, LVRJ. That's uh, my name, and then just LVRJ, Las Vegas Review Journal, which is uh, uh, where you can find all of my content. It's uh, listen, it's fine. It's whatever. Uh, just follow me on Twitter, and then you can get the links if you need to. But um, really, I'm more concerned about just doing Twitter. And then uh, just uh, hanging out and doing whatever uh, podcast will have me on. So that's my life. And you do you do radio out there also? I do. I actually do the three to six show here in Vegas on ESPN, ESPN eleven hundred in Vegas. I do a three to six, but I am uh, I'm off the next two days because I'm so you know entrenched in this uh, coverage of this fight and the Golden Knights opener tonight. Adam, my friend, thank you so much for calling in, man. And just so you know, you missing your friend's wedding when you should have been in the wedding party just to watch a fight, has elevated you to my top 10 <laughs> friend list of all time. Love the dedication, my friend, and we're definitely going to get together either when you get to New York or when I come out to Vegas. Peace out, bud.